0: every show can't be as energetic as last week that is true that is a high bar so if you don't like this one listen to another <laughs> if this one ain't floating your boat just pick one of the other ones
1: And remember, this podcast is not safe for work, so listen with headphones.
0: Hello. Hello. And welcome. <laughs> to Freudian Sips. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Anna. And here we are again. <laughs> what episode are we on, Anna? 20 Big two zero. Wow. That's a, that's significant. That's wow. like a... Feels like some,
1: a milestone.
0: It does. It's amazing that we're still going <laughs> on.
1: We haven't given up yet. We have thrown in the we're towel. We're tenacious yeah. like
0: that. Is Got that a word? load of gumption. It Ten- is.
1: Tenacious. So what are we talking about today? Well, we are still... So Duck smack yeah, dab in this Yeah, I feel like this stages. is a learning experience for us, where <sighs> this is a bit of too long of a series. <laughs> <laughs> this
0: is like we're wearing down a little bit. But in fairness, we did process like, well, should we just do a couple and then do some other things and yeah. then come back and do a couple? We're just like no, let's just do but, it. Well, and like if someone really wants to have all the stages, then they don't have to wait. I don't know. It's <laughs> with hindsight, maybe. I don't know. <laughs>
1: Listen, I don't this is know. all a learning experience. Exactly.
0: If you have not been listening to the last few episodes,
1: if you're about to start a spiel, don't do it because I have a thing. Okay. (laughs) Oh, she looks so Mm. sad. (laughs) Never mind. No, I just it seemed like you were jumping into the actual content, but I have a I have an an announcement first. Don't don't. okay my announcer is exciting we need some excitement (laughs) okay we have a patron on patreon Ah, yes anthony hello thank you thank you thank you anthony is actually the host of another amazing podcast called capes on the couch very cool very relevant to us if you like us you'll probably like them they uh psychoanalyze comic book characters oh so
0: cool Uh, it's
1: very cool it's it's really interesting because i've chosen episodes of characters that i know from film because i'm not a big comic book person but they often talk about the differences between their kind of counterparts and their comic book counterparts and Mm -hmm. and they usually go with the with the full comic book Mm -hmm. one like if they diverge so it's really interesting to someone who doesn't listen to comics kind of not have that inside view on it but it's still really cool to listen to i am so into anything that psychoanalyzes fictional characters i just love that you kind of do that all the time just for yourself that's true that's awesome yes. thank you anthony yes thank you so much and and guys if you really do if you like us then you will like them as well they are currently a bonus podcast on Podcoin, so Ooh. now's a good time to go listen to them capes on the couch
0: i love the name yeah capes on the couch Pretty cool awesome
1: okay that was my announcement are you gonna be sad still no i want okay. i'm not sad at all okay i'm happy okay <laughs> <laughs> i'm happy as we know the happiest people have to announce to that anthony. we're happy yes i'm grateful thank you anthony Okay. Where do we go now? Continue your spiel. It felt like you were on the
0: roll and I had to block it. Uh, No, I'm glad that you did because I'm so glad to learn about that information. So yeah, I was kind of on a spiel because I was actually going to throw it back to you though to tell us about that. What all I was going to say was if you have not listened to the last few episodes or if you're skipping around, if you're one of those people that kind of (laughs) skip around, you might, that says something about all of us. (laughs) What
1: type of uh, podcast mm, listener are you? mm
0: -hmm. If you're a person who does like to do things in order. Order, you might want to go back and listen, kind of catch it up. It always
1: cracks me up like when I see people that are listening to it kind of backwards, like the most recent first, and mm-hmm. then they're going back. So they're listening, especially this series, like they're listening to, like they have Benjamin Button disorder of the, <laughs> of the <laughs> like psychosocial exactly. stages.
0: One of the reasons, though, Anna, that I've really enjoyed doing these stages is I was thinking you can look at it a couple different ways. If if you're listening to this, you can look at it like, as you listen, you can think about your own because we've already talked about childhood. Right. And so you can think about, oh, what was I doing when I was an infant? When I, you know, and you kind of um, that self awareness piece of checking into your own life. If you're a parent or a grandparent, you have young people in your life that you can kind of compare that to. You can use it a lot of different ways, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. If you're trying to deal with someone in your life that's going through a particular stage, you can kind of look like at that. Like a teenager. Oh mm-hmm. my god. Yeah. Someone <laughs> particular. You can have
1: have mm-hmm. more uh, sympathy for them. hmm
0: Exactly. It sucks. It can remind you that it, it does suck when you're a teenager. <laughs> okay, so today we are talking about mm-hmm. flip flip. Do you want me to say? Do you oh, want to say, I thought do you, you want to go back and.
1: Yeah, let's talk about just general psychosocial do that first. theory first. Yeah, let's uh, do that first. So, yeah, if you haven't listened to the other episodes, then a psychosocial stage has a few components to it. Eric Erickson is the creator of the psychosocial stages. And he kind of formed it as a follow-up and also as a counterpoint to Freud's psychosexual stages. But psychosocial stages go through our whole lifespan and they focus more on like our development of identity and how we relate to other people. Mm -hmm. Each stage has a crisis and it's like A versus B. So like in infancy, it's trust versus mistrust. So Mm -hmm. it looks like that. And we resolve the crisis by using what's called a central process, and that's just the thing that we use to figure out which side of the crisis we're going to fall on. Right. If you resolve the crisis well, then you take a positive virtue or ego quality, mm-hmm. and then if you don't resolve the crisis well, you take forward a negative pathology. Bum, ba, bum,
0: bum. Yep, exactly. Cool, okay. So,
1: the first stage we're talking about is?
0: Later adolescence. Yes which for what we're talking about today, this is going to be 18 to 24. Mm -hmm. But I would throw in that this is one of those things and we've talked about in in the other episodes that this has kind of evolved with our society and culture changing because Erickson, it's been a while since he made up his stages. So in Erickson's original stages, he had adolescence as one stage from 13 to 19. Last week, Anna talked about early adolescence mm-hmm. last week. See, I'm doing radio speak. Last episode. We did it last week. Yeah. Well, we yeah. parting the we curtain did a little it. bit. So we, we recorded this weekly. Okay. And then today I'm doing 18 to 24. In Erickson's original theory, he did adolescence as one spot and it was 13 to 19. And then he did early adulthood as 20 to 39, which you'll find out a little bit later in this episode. Adulthood is also split differently right, now. Right. So so we've talked about that, that the original eight stages that Erickson had, we're kind of expanding that a little bit because it, it basically has been expanded. So, And you can use your imagination in that to think about why that culturally is so, that we have later adolescents, 18 to 24, when you just think about the trend in our culture – 18
1: 24 is college. Right. Yeah.
0: College. And that even if you just look at the fact that not too many years ago was when even legally things were changed that you could still carry your young person on your insurance until they were 26 years old. It was kind of like a little statement that just said, we know that kids are still kids <laughs> until they're 26. Yeah. So. Okay, so the psychosocial crisis in later adolescence, 18 to 24, is individual identity versus identity confusion. And we've been talking about how really all the stages so build on each other, and not even just build on each other, but it's kind of like a lot of the same ideas yeah. are just continuing in. Yeah. Because we've been talking about identity a lot.
1: Well, yeah, that's what that's, the psychosocial That's basically what are. about. Yeah. yeah,
0: exactly. So... <laughs> um what i'm sorry you're, your whole character is different today you're just kind of sitting there like
1: i'm very sleepy <laughs> I'm doing, don't it's, call me out it's rainy Listen, it's, it's not rainy a,
0: today and it's not it's, a
1: visual media if i want to zone out with my <laughs> eyeballs i can do that and you call me out but i feel like okay okay what do you want me to do
0: keep my eyes really open no actually close your eyes and use your imagination (laughs) i will do a guided meditation through (laughs) psychosocial crisis
1: okay i'll fall asleep Okay.
0: So while we're dealing with figuring out our individual identity and trying not to be confused about our identity, these are the developmental tasks that we have that we deal with. The first one is obvious, autonomy from parents. I think, I feel like I should start by saying right away in my mind when I hear 18 and 24, and you kind of did it too, you said college. Yeah. Which a lot of us jump to because that's kind of standardish.
1: ish uh, College in our culture is just so expected. Exactly. It's just an extension of high school. It's not... It's not as much of a choice as it used to be. Right. So so even I think when this book was written. I would that, agree. That we go. I would we're agree. We're using a textbook to kind of structure Absolutely. these and learn the tasks and stuff. And I think the, the more I read from this book, the more I'm like, this is dated. Mm-hmm. This is showing its age. That
0: being said, we do know there's always exceptions to the rule. So as we talk about this today, if you or someone that you're thinking about is you're listening to this didn't go to college or got married very young. Mm-hmm. There's there's exceptions to that kind of generality of, oh, that's college age.
1: Right. But 18 so. is still the age that we do hit where we say, like, I am an adult now. And I think even if you don't go to college, there's this kind of pressure to be an adult and and separate from parents. I mean, that's...
0: Exactly. Yeah. So the way it looks you're separating from parents might be different from person to person. It might be that you go away to college. It might be that you're still living at home going to college. A lot of people do that. Live at home and go to college, especially in the beginning, couple of years. (laughs) But this autonomy from our parents, that is the first developmental task, does not necessarily mean physically being... Away from your parents. Right. It doesn't have to be that. It just means that you are starting to separate from your parents, which honestly you start doing before you're eighteen. <laughs> yeah. But um this is when it's very specific that it needs to be happening during the stage. If you're not doing it by now, you gotta get on it. And <laughs> you're wrong. If you're not doing it by now, you you're screwed wrong.
1: <laughs> Something good wrong. luck with
0: the rest of your life. Uh, <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Feeling stern today. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting my stern voice on. Here's kind of a definition of autonomy from our parents. The ability to regulate one's behavior and to select and guide one's decisions and actions in order to achieve meaningful personal goals without undue control or dependence on your parents. So that's pretty that's, widespread. There're a lot yeah, of words lot, uh-huh, you just said. a lot. Sound like a book, didn't it? <laughs>
1: she says, reading off the paper. So it's
0: not necessarily the same as rejecting or alienating no. your parents from it's your life. No, it's not a bad or, thing. No, and it's not even, like I said, it's not even necessarily physical separation from your parents. But it's just that growing autonomy that I am not just my my mom's kid anymore. Are you with me on that? You're I, not just your mom. You're punching your mic now? I punched what? my
1: mic a little bit. Sorry. Was there
0: some kind of aggression you need to talk about? separating I from your mother like, or... i was
1: gonna put my hand under my chin i'm trying to figure out a pose to sit in where you're not gonna make fun of me for looking tired you just do whatever you want honey. Okay. you just do what you want if you want to go lay on the
0: floor I for a little sheep, while I i'll I'll, I'll, co- I'll cover this part <laughs> okay and i'll get Light back to me up you when your stage is over <laughs> all right some statistics that are just kind of general to throw out there real quick 55 percent of 18 to 24 year olds in the united states Live with their parents. Fifty-five percent.
1: Is that? I mean, because I guess when I was, when you're in college, you're still considered living with your parents if you're like a dorm liver. <laughs> you know, a dorm liver, as we call it. Not a, dorm, not a Not a dorm kidney. A but dorm. A dorm gallbladder. No, that's a really good
0: question because fifty-five percent is not very high if you're counting all the dorm livers.
1: livers. You can, you can use although the legal it's eighteen.
0: Term. Yeah, hmm. I don't know for sure.
1: Fifty-five percent. Hmm.
0: I might have to check into that.
1: Because, I mean, when I was in college, my legal address was... Was
0: well, home. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, so maybe it is. I thought this was interesting, though, that the latest statistics show, and I'm jumping into Anna's stage. 20- no. I had to, no. to say... No! <laughs> okay, what? <laughs> you say that I'm calling you out today, but I think you're feisty. 25 to 34-year-olds. I said it. No! 25- 16%. In the United States, 16% of 25 to 34-year-olds still live with their parents.
1: you want to know something? I think that's low.
0: I think it is, too. It's got to be
1: way lower. Yeah. Yeah.
0: there's a lot of adult children now I that are living. I mean, with
1: mm-hmm. the way debt works in our country, like, mm-hmm. people are living at home way longer. Exactly.
0: But we were talking about how the culture is changing, so all of this kind of is changing with it. The idea that a couple of generations ago, people would, if they were leaving home, it was usually to get married. It wasn't just to move out and live in an apartment. And honestly... The statistics show that's still pretty true. That most of the people that move out of their parents' home is to move in with another, either a significant other or to get married or something like that. They don't just move out to live in an apartment all by themselves. So that's a very low number. So That's
1: what I did. It's fun, though, (laughs) isn't it? It is fun. Everybody should do that. I valued my time having my own space, Mm -hmm. my own apartment, my own place. That you shared with your kitty cat. Yes.
0: (laughs) But yes, you were very independent. (laughs) Okay, so autonomy from our parents. That's that thing that young people are saying they have to do some adulting. Both of my adult children have referenced that to me. That's the first developmental task. The second developmental task goes back to gender identity. And I feel like we've done this in so many stages where we say gender identity, and then we say, we're going to put a pin in that. Asterisk,
1: (laughs) asterisk, asterisk. Mm -hmm. (laughs)
0: <laughs> because we are working toward doing a whole episode mm-hmm. um, about gender identity. But I do want to throw in here that even though our... Oh, it's thunder booming outside. It's very rainy
1: here today. If you hear a little it, boom, yeah. it's thunder.
0: Even though we our society has changed a great deal, all of the points, and there's so many different points about gender identity, there's still a lot of that out there. And Anna and I were talking about this before we started recording, that even today in 2019... There's still a lot of gender identity um, connections with career choices, which is one of the other developmental tasks, which I'll get to in a minute. And I think I think y'all know what I'm talking about with the stereotypes. that. stereotypes. Mm-hmm. So when you say when you reference, oh, the nurse that took care of us today. Many people first think of a woman or a feminine person, right? Yes. Who's the nurse. And most
1: people, on the other hand, when someone says doctor, they assume male. Mm -hmm.
0: So even though we've come a long, long way, and we all know that that's, I mean, my my son, your brother, is a nurse. Yes. And the other one we talked about was teachers. Teachers, often we hear the word teacher, even though there are a lot of male teachers. You kind of have that image of them.
1: There's that riddle. You ever heard that riddle that... A man and his son were in a car crash, and they were rushed to the hospital. And the doctor came in to work on the son. And the doctor says, "I can't work on this boy. He's my son." And I mean, it's like, oh, okay, the doctor was woman. the mother is the answer, <laughs> but might. it's like that's a riddle. I'm uh-huh. using big old air quotes in that yeah, because, like, yeah. oh, who, who could wow, this be? A doctor? A woman? <laughs> a woman? Female? Being a doctor? I do declare. Oh,
0: that's a very good accent. Put that on your list of good accents. I do but, yeah. declare. I have the papers. I have the papers. <laughs> okay, so in the middle of this gender identity that is very intense, 18 to 24-year-old stage, mm-hmm. uh, the gender identity hopefully is getting to a point where it is being very... What's the word I want to use? Sorted out, clarified, Be um, more open. I would say, okay, there's more openness if, if about you think it. about. And so, even though we're not, we're talking about gender identity and not sexual orientation, right? They are different. However, both of those things are at play very much. 18 to 24 year olds, yes. and and let's go back to the image then of the college student because we all have that kind of image of in college, woo, you know, yeah, all that experimentation yeah. going on and and trying to figure out...
1: But that's because when we're at college, even if, or if we're not at college and we're, we are separating from our parents, we're experiencing freedoms that we hadn't known before. We're right. experiencing... The exposure to opportunities that we have never experienced before, like the opportunity to look for ourselves right, and right. and how we do, like who we want to connect to in that way and stuff right. like that and how we want to express ourselves. So I think there's a lot that goes into, I think we're breaking out of this a little now, but especially how we were raised mm-hmm. and kind of the limitations that that put on us.
0: Right. And so one of the developmental tasks of this stage is gender identity, but that includes a lot of other things along yeah. the way, including sexual orientation. So that's part of what's happening, 18 to 24. Um, the third task is internalizing morality, which kind of fits nicely with what we just talked about, that we now at this point, and again, even as I say that, I think to myself, young people are doing that a lot younger than 18. However, this is when... I think we talked
1: about in the last episode, right? Mm-hmm. That there was a big moral development right. piece. This, and,
0: the adolescence, there's yeah. a huge, that's a huge part of early adolescence. So it's all adolescence. So we're taking the morality, the values that our parents, that the people around us—all uh,
1: adolescents. Can I can I just say? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't like how they split it up because didn't they go like, what are the stages? Do you have an, a list of them? I know that in
0: one in one of the sources it goes twelve to twelve, and then it goes thirteen to something. Like they missed that was Erickson's original. Oh. He went something to twelve. And then he went 13 and 19. It's like he missed the 12 to 13. <laughs> they just sit there. They don't do <laughs> anything. <laughs> They're just
1: like, I'm tired. Yeah. But but in it's this a, book. It has like early, middle, late. And then it has like early, late, early, early, late, middle. Uh-huh. It's very weird in how it's Early and them. later.
0: There's no middle adolescence. Just that's early and why, later. That's what's bothering but me. But the other ones have middles. Yes. Yeah, that's what's bothering me. That's them. what's bothering me. There's no middle to adolescence. You just.
1: We <laughs> need to have a consistent taxonomy <laughs> when we name things.
0: I know you're a word person, so that does bother you. (laughs) Okay, there are three elements to our morality. Judgment, caring, action. And those are the things that we are working on specifically as a later adolescent. We're trying to decide, you know, do I believe the same things that mom and dad taught me? Am I going to carry those same values that grandma pushed on me all my life? Or am Mm -hmm. I going to completely change it up? But we're internalizing it. And the last task is career choice. Again, when we go back to the idea of so many people going to college, you have that picture of being in college and deciding what you want to do. But you also have to include then the idea if you didn't go to college, you are literally just jumping into the workforce. So there are people, 18 to 24, who are, it's kind of a different outlook, like unless they're going into a family business, like say dad is in construction, that was gender bias there. Mom was in the construction business and so okay. son okay. wants to go into the business yeah. or you know if it's a family business that choice is kind of already being made for them you know in that 80% of college people people in college college livers college <laughs> yes. livers change their major at least once and again i think that's, it might be higher that's normal. that 80% is what yeah. it says and on on the average the people who do change their majors
1: change it three times. It sounds about right. Mm -hmm. So I I like to blow my client's mind by telling them that I wasn't always a psychology major when I was in school, especially my teenage... Because I mean... I think this career pressure is being put on kids younger and younger because mm-hmm. I have a lot of like 13 and 14 year olds who are like, I don't know what I want to do mm-hmm. with my life. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I didn't know what I would. I still don't kind of know what exactly. I want to do with my life. Like, I don't, I think that that's not, you know, your place to, it's not your time to decide that right now, but they feel like it is. Right. And so I always kind of blow their mind by saying, like, I actually did, like, even when I went to college, I wanted to do something entirely different. I was an art major when I first got to college mm-hmm. until my like third year i mean i switched pretty late like i think there's this pressure to know exactly what you want to do and stick with that from a very young age i don't know why i don't know what the benefit of that is i don't either but you're exactly right yeah yeah, and if you
0: try to talk to young people like, well, you don't have to worry about, you got a while. Then they... I
1: think it's just this like kind of starry eye because you hear the people who like, I've known I wanted to be a vet since I was four years old and mm-hmm. now I'm a vet and that's great. Isn't that great? Okay, it's fine. That's great. I'm happy for you that you lived your dream, but that doesn't mean it's any more valid than the people who are 20 going, oh, actually, I kind of want to do this mm-hmm. and exactly. going into that.
0: I'm going to come back to that idea The kids who know what they want to do, or the kids who put a pin in it. Put a pin in it. Okay, so we're just gonna kind of skate through that. So there's there's these four developmental tasks that are just four, and yet they're huge. Yes, autonomy and gender identity and internalizing our morality and career choice. Huge, huge. So those are the tasks that we're dealing with to get us through the crisis. The crisis is again individual identity versus individual confusion. So the central process that gets us to one or the other is role experimentation, which is totally what we talked about when you go to college. Exactly, you need to figure out. Yeah, that's an exact. It's exactly what it is. So part of of figuring out our own identity, our individual identity, um, uses the past. It uses, you know, our childhood identifications and all those stages we've already gone through. It uses the present as we look at ourselves and we say, what am I good at? Who am I? What do I like to do? And even the future, like, um, you know, what, wow, it's really thundering outside. What do I want my goals to be and my aspirations? It all rolls into my identity. So... Here's another one of those quotes. It reflects the sense of meaning, purpose, and related commitments. <laughs> carried my, own, my own <laughs> <head riding. laughs> One embraces as one makes the transition from childhood to adulthood. It is a self-sameness. So we are putting, we're synthesizing all of yes. this stuff yeah. into this solid identity. This is who I am. And this who I am stays the same no matter who I'm with. So, even though we do kind of put on those little masks when we go, you know, to, we're hanging out with our church crowd or we're going out, you know, with our friends on Friday right. night, there's a little bit of a variance there with the language you use. And that if it gets to be too much of a variance, then we got a problem because yeah. then we don't have our sense of individual identity. But we have to synthesize all of
1: those different parts into one thing. My notes for my section are just getting shorter and shorter. My taking it's out, like, yeah, no, that's not good. No, it's okay. Um it's good for me. <laughs>
0: so what does it mean to be i uh, have our identity confused? Well, it's just the opposite. That we that we can't figure out who we are and who we want to be. And and again, that kind of feels like just part of that age, eighteen to twenty-four. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's part of that experimentation. This is kinda how we're gonna clarify all that real quick. A gay a guy a, a guy a,
1: a gay. <laughs> I yes. What about the I gays? don't know if
0: he was gay. <laughs> a guy named James Marsha. Okay. And we I looked it up to see if that's really We're how like, he that his can't name. be how he says his name. <laughs> Apparently
1: but it is. James Marsha.
0: And he took this idea of identity and he kinda like spread it out a little bit more clearly. He said people going through this stage They go through some kind of crisis, which in this sense, a crisis is that experimentation. I don't know why he used the word crisis, but that's the word he used, which means... Was
1: was this meant to build on Erickson's stages? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. You roll experimentation. If you're you're specifically building off a thing that uses crisis as one of its main points... Don't use it again, Don't use the the same word. (laughs) Don't. And if you're in that space where you're right now exploring who
0: am I, who do I want to be, that's called, in his theory, it's called moratorium. And that means that you're still looking. So okay. that can go on for a while. However, if you have not really ever explored and you just like, so now we're going back to the people who get out of high school and they're like, I don't want to go to college. I need a job. There's a job. I'll take that job. Yeah. They don't really think about who they are, or what they want to do. They just take a job. Take a job and stick with it. Or mm-hmm. the kid who's. Mother was in construction and said, oh, mom has a good construction business. I'm going to work with her. Yeah. And they don't really put a lot of thought into it. It's just kind of like, that's called foreclosure in his theory. When you choose a career path without really having found your own identity. Was
1: without- J- Did James Marsha... Did he develop this because he was a real estate agent and he decided he wanted to be a psychologist? <laughs> perhaps so. Moratorium perhaps feels perhaps like a house so. term, too. I don't know how it does. Mortuary, maybe? It sounds like a Made, building type. Ooh, okay. I don't know.
0: Okay. He, if, if you worked through your role exp, expira, eh, expiration date. <laughs> Frick. Every single episode, there's one word. <laughs> that exp- word was almost Oh, frick. <laughs> Role experimentation. If you've worked through it and you're set and you're good, that's when you have that identity. He says he calls it identity achieved. If you don't, if you're like oh, I still don't know what to do, he calls that identity confusion, which is back to Erickson sure. again. So. That can be something that just goes on and on that you never really know. Mm-hmm. And even though I'm kind of looking at it like talking about a career, we have to remember that it's not just about your job. It's about your your morals and, again, about your, your gender identity, no identity, all of that. Yeah. Right. So you have to look at that as, as a big package. And your job or your career is just part <laughs> of your... <laughs> Sorry, big package. Gosh. <laughs> I know you learned it from me. Sorry, I'm in fifth grade.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, now I can't get my focus back. Let's see. Um, let's see. What else do I need to see? I'm almost done. All right. I know you're waiting. Um, <laughs> that, <laughs> that warmed you up or something? I don't know. <laughs> my cheeks are hot. <laughs> okay. This pause will definitely be cut out, right? So... <laughs>
1: Whatever, whatever you wrote down after you wrote down "big package,"
0: <laughs> I didn't write that down because oh.
1: it just gives it, it just you
0: was a Freudian slip. They on brand. <laughs> okay, so if we get through our crisis in the right way, we do have our identity. Then our prime adaptive ego quality is going to be fidelity to values fidelity to so values. when you actually
1: know who you are you're able to stay with who you are
0: right you're able to stand on your identity and you know what you believe in you don't just believe in it because somebody else told you to mm-hmm. you have accepted that if you don't get to that point on the other side of the coin the core pathology is repudiation which is basically rejecting or standing against having values right yeah any of the man and it can be any of the man any of the (laughs) man so (laughs) it can be the values you know that you were raised with you know it's a weird thing because it can also even be that you're in this place where you have this is a weird example but if a person has two very distinct role models so they have let's I'm going to make the father the bad guy for a minute. The father is very harsh and and has issues. let's say he's an alcoholic. He has all kinds of issues, abusive. And then on the other side, I'm not going to make it a mom. I'm going to make it a grandma. Grandma is sweet and it another
1: dad. Sweet, but that and, would make it a little bit confusing. Oh, well, that
0: would be confusing. But it could maybe work. Let's do that. Dad and Papa Okay, so Papa is a very loving person who, let's say, he, you know, has a particular faith that he follows. He's very moral, very ethical person. They're both very important to mm-hmm. this person. Yeah. And so there becomes this conflict of, like, what... How am I supposed to internalize the values when mm. I value both of them, you know? So that kind of gets twisted and and could become the core pathology of, of repudiation.
1: This is interesting because when I hear repudiation in terms of identity and values especially – I kind of It kind of brings to mind the image of the typical like anarchist who right. just goes against things just to go against them mm-hmm. rather than saying, I'm against this thing because this is actually what I believe and I want to stick with that. That's fidelity to values. So these two things can actually look a little bit alike. Exactly. But one of them is maladaptive. One of them is unhealthy. Right. And the other one is a good way to do it. You just have to have good reasons for why you're rejecting a certain value.
0: That's a very good way to say it. Thank you. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. Gold star for Ian. Where's our stickers? Man, we need stickers.
1: stickers went... We have stickers. I
0: don't know where they They're are. They're around here somewhere. Okay, so that is where we are. So if you're going forward, if you if you adapted correctly and you have your individual identity, then you're going to go forward into early adulthood with fidelity to your values.
1: Giving myself a cupcake sticker.
0: Oh, good job. Good job.
1: Matches my shirt.
0: I know it's kind of hard to see; it blends right into your shirt, but I know it's there. Okay, okay, I'm stepping off. Stepping
1: off. Okay, it's your turn. The next stage is early adulthood, 24 to 34, which mom peer pressured me into doing because this is the stage in which I am <laughs> smack, dab smack in the down the middle. in the middle. Exactly. Yes. The crisis of this stage is intimacy versus isolation. Um, So just kind of keep that in mind as I go through the developmental tasks, which I will try to do quickly because I know I can get a little wordy with these. The first developmental task is exploring intimate relationships. So the bottom line here is that this is a very personal thing about when someone will be ready to pursue long-term commitments if they choose that at all. Mm -hmm. Because along with the gender identity and sexual orientation thing is this kind of openness to asexuality and and aromantic and and all those identities that are also valid and also really exist. Some people say they don't, and they do, but it just comes down to a person's individual development. When but again, pe-
0: that's something that they've been—I mean, playing around. <laughs> that's the wrong word. Here.
1: That's <laughs> something that we
0: that we've been dealing with in earlier stages, just not to this developmental well, yeah, stage. Yeah, yeah. This is when because people have been right,
1: right. I mean, romantically even, involved. Sometimes yeah, even when they're very young. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of in our mind, but this is. Right. When it becomes more of a focus. Got it. And I think part of that is because we do have the freedom to really pursue that in a way that is separate from our family, like our family of origin relationships. Like, again, I do have a lot of, like, 13 to 14-year-old clients, and and a lot of them are going through romantic stuff, Mm -hmm. and we have to process, like, this is hard because you're 14, and you don't really have the freedom to just go see your boyfriend whenever. Right. You know, so... There are limitations on how much we can explore that before we're this age.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: This is when people explore how they want their long-term relationships to look. So this is when things like cohabitation comes into play. This is when people are experimenting with how they want to interact with their partners and how they want to handle committing themselves to someone and if that's something that they want to do. Mm-hmm. This book has some really great lines in it. I think in toddlerhood, there was something about like, toddlers shouldn't, you know, aren't ready to go to the big city or something. (laughs) And this is a great line. What determines whether an intimate relationship will end in matrimony? A basic factor is the person's underlying desire to marry. (laughs) This is a book that we paid money for. Okay. Upwards of $300 probably, because that's how textbooks are. Mm -hmm. So, okay. This is when we're exploring that basically. Something I want to touch on is something called the phases of mate selection. Hmm. The first phase of this is original attraction. So this is like first impressions, physical attraction, uh, how we meet people. It also includes what the barriers are to meeting people, which again, when this book was written, they they like didn't even touch on like technology and how we use technology to meet people really? now. Really? Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, because I, I was specifically looking for it because, mm-hmm. I mean... Self-disclosure, I met my husband online. Mm -hmm. So we never would have met if not for online dating because we lived literally three hours lit, apart yeah, and we just apart. we did not have any of the same social I mean it's not like we went to the same school or something but mm-hmm. we're from far away I mean we would never have met if not for technology so technology is changing the landscape on how we explore intimate relationships and how we pursue them absolutely because I mean we were long distance for a long time just because of the nature of how we met and how far away we were mm-hmm. and that I think changed how we interacted based on how I had interacted with past People I was in a relationship with, so it's very different. It's changing the landscape, and I think I, I don't have enough information to talk about that very much because I was only looking at the book, and they didn't talk about it at all. <laughs> Thanks, book. That might actually be a good episode, though, like technology in terms of and how we interact with people. Yeah, okay, put a pin in it. Okay, and then phase two is deeper attraction. So that is when kind of physical attraction goes a bit deeper. There's a term that the book used called homogamy. Hmm. <laughs> Homogamy. Oh, man. (laughs) Bringing that one back. I know, that was a good one to bring (laughs) back. It's uh, homogamy means being attracted to people who share important areas of similarity with us. So, obviously, phase two is when we're learning if people kind of share the same values, if we have a good actual rapport with them, if this is going to last beyond like physical attraction flings, sort of thing. Yeah, it's more than just man, you're hot. (laughs) Yes. And I like you. We think alike. Here's another gem from the book. Of course, eligibility is defined differently by different people. <laughs> For some, any person who is conscious is eligible. <laughs> hey, that whoa. wasn't a text book. Hey, <laughs> yeah. Hey, whoa. Hey, whoa. I mean, at least they said conscious. That's good. <laughs> but uh, it seems he's a little forward. Yeah, Touching it. Yes. So that's phase two. Phase three is barriers to break up. This includes something called role compatibility. And if that's if the way we things is compatible with how our partner handles things. So this is where that like opposites attract thing comes in. Where when you're handling a crisis, especially a crisis, I think this phase in the relationship is when people have to deal with crises and they, I'm using the word crisis now. I just shit on that one guy for using them. (laughs) I'm not talking about psychosocial crisis. I'm talking about life crisis, crises. That's a word we use that's in a, a lot word. Of It's a word that's in the language. But when something catastrophic happens and we have to deal with it, we figure out if the way we deal with things is compatible with the way our partners deal with things. Like if you're someone who's way chill and you're with a partner who's very neurotic dealing with things, then maybe that's good. Maybe you balance each other out and they give you kind of a sense of urgency and you give them you know, the ability to chill out a little bit. Or, if they are to such a degree that they stress you out and you're to such a degree that uh, they think it's not helpful, I then that's take not, it. Yeah, yeah, that's not compatible. So it's kind of developing the ability to realize whether or not we're compatible with that person when times get tough, kind of. And this is also the stage where we develop like special communication with each other and empathy. Special communication has things to do with like developing your own little language. <laughs> Mom makes fun of me because Nathan puke. Nathan and I call each other uh Milo it's a very dumb word and we and we say it to each other and she's like why do you say that why I don't say it that way hey why do you say that <laughs> and I've had to explain it to better. you.
0: yes yes it was not like Ew, why hey do you say hey as that? her stupid dumb kids <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah but that's it's me all the it's time. because we've kind of developed this it's kind of like twin speak but with your partner instead and it's fostering kind of a private space that's your own that other people aren't really allowed in mm-hmm. that's a good way to put it and then phase four the last phase is the right one relationship so this is where we get to romantic love and friendship that are both working together it's like where we're learning how to do give and take So kind of how we're learning to meet each other's needs and if the way we meet each other's needs is compatible with the way the other person meets their own needs and our needs. So all that stuff is how we figure out if we are actually going to be in an intimate relationship with someone and if that's going to last into a long-term relationship. Mm -hmm. And included in this is childbearing as well. This is during this stage. The book says factors such as religious beliefs, career aspirations, ideals about family life and social expectations in the family and culture all contribute to a couple's commitment to bearing children.
0: Yes. Thanks, book. Yes. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I feel like that covers a lot. I mean, there's... When it comes to having kids, there's a lot of factors that go into it. There's a lot of things we need to take into consideration. But also just attitudes about childbearing are changing in our culture. People Mm -hmm. are increasingly are disagreeing that people who can have children ought to have children. It's seen less as an obligation. It's seen less as a thing you need to do, especially if you're in a marriage. Even in the 80s and 90s, a majority of people disagreed that having children is the main reason for marrying. Mostly they say the main reason for marrying is love and commitment. And they also say, like, they don't agree that people who don't have children lead meaningless lives. Mm. So again, those attitudes of the only reason to be together with someone is so you can procreate and, like, make the species continue. Like, right. we have that. We're overpopulated. It's good. So I think that there's attitudes that are changing. Now, that being said, we still do have a culture that places a lot of emphasis on parenthood, I would say especially motherhood. Um, I agree. Women are often criticized if they're like, "Oh, when are you going to have kids?" And they're like, "I don't really want to have kids." Why? Why mm-hmm. don't you want to have kids? Mm-hmm. They're they're kind of judged for it. So even though attitudes are changing, there is still this overarching thing of, "But you should have kids." Mm-hmm. And so it's it's kind of hard to balance that. But this is the stage where we're figuring out if that is something we want. And if it is something we want, how we're going to handle it and when we're going to do it. Because that, you know, when I say childbearing, it doesn't just mean with a partner. It could mean adoption. Um, right. It could mean childbearing outside of a marriage, being a single parent. So, so those two things may be connected, but they are also separate. They're also separate things that we have to decide whether or not we want to do. And for people who do have kids, the stage includes balancing these responsibilities with the responsibilities of, if we are with a partner, being with that partner. Right. And trying to balance needs for intimacy with needs for parenthood. So that can be really hard, like you mentioned, that kind of different roles and, and trying to figure out how those roles work with each other. Mm-hmm. The next developmental task is work. And I'm not going to talk about that too much because you kind of went over that. I, I would say like a note is you touched on this a little bit it does include a realistic view of your own skills and abilities this is kind of sad and is going to sound like a downer thing to say but i think there are some people who have ideas on what they want to do that are just not really realistic right and i think an important part of this is realizing not only what you want to do but also what you're good at doing and what your talents lend toward doing right this is kind of cool I have uh one of my teenage clients was talking to me about and she was asking me she's just pelting me with questions about my uh counseling schooling like Mm -hmm. how much schooling I had to do and I was answering her questions and she got this like her her eyes lit up and she goes you know in in movies where they have like an inspirational person and their backstory and they have like that scene where there's like music like that's this is my moment for that (laughs) She's like, this is that time. She She's like, I, I think this is what I want to do. She had, I think she wanted to be like a nurse of some sort. But but she goes, I can't do nursing. She goes, my grades aren't good enough. I don't think I can handle nursing school. And mm-hmm. that's sad, but nursing school is also one of the hardest kinds of school there is. So I don't think a lot of people could hack nursing school. But she was able, even as young as she is, I mean, she's a good 10 years before this stage. Mm-hmm. She was able to realistically look at her skills and say maybe my skills aren't meant for this, but I still want to do this kind of thing, so how else can I apply the things that I'm good at? Mm-hmm. And that's especially, this stage is especially where that comes in. And we're learning to work with others. This especially includes, like, people in superiority positions, and we're learning how to be a subordinate to people. This is when I have a problem with. I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like people in authority. Say, is that for you specifically? I don't like it. <laughs> okay. And we're learning to integrate our career with our personal identity Mm -hmm. i mean this is where like you know when we meet someone like one of the first things out of our mouth is what do you do Uh
0: because
1: that that is so part i mean i think that's because we especially in our culture we have to work so much we spend so much of our just physical time working Mm -hmm. at our jobs so it becomes a lot of our waking hours and it becomes a lot of what we do and who we are who we are exactly like even if it's not like i went into this position because it's something i really value doing it's something i really want to devote my life to doing even if you're just at a job you still get asked what you do and it's still part of your identity right so and then lifestyle is the last developmental task and that's learning to balance work with intimacy with social stuff with your own self-care and your own health and also competing roles. So again, like you said, like just learning how to balance who we are here versus who we are here and what of those roles we're going to put emphasis on. Do You want to you wanna joke about any of those things? <laughs> you want to make a joke I you know, it's, it's very serious <laughs> stuff. I'm like, dude.
0: I, well, I was thinking too that, that it does a lot of that stuff that you just explained. I mean, the early adulthood is 24 to 34, but... That kind of goes on. Yeah. I mean, that's one of those cultural things, again, that probably goes on well into the 40s now. I know a lot of people who have children still in school that are in their 40s.
1: And not only that, I think especially work. Now, I may be biased because I was with you. I'm a bad example. (laughs) No, I think you're a very good example. (laughs) I I think that, again, we have this weird pressure to figure out what you want to do early and never change from that. Mm. I think a lot of people are unhappy with that. I think a lot of people want to explore different things. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of unrealistic to me to ask someone to do the same thing for their whole life. That was part of the problem that I
0: had reporting on the later adolescence and that idea of our identity and knowing, kind of like what you said about knowing what you want to do when you're like 14 or whatever. And even when you're 24, knowing what you want to do, because like you said jokingly before that you still don't know what you want to do. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm quite a bit older than you, and I. And there are times when I think I could do at least one more career. Yeah, I think I could do at least. I've one got more. one in me. I think I've got, <laughs> I've got I think one I more in do. me. I just gotta figure out what it's gotta gotta be. <laughs> I'm <a> professional but <laughs> kayaker. But because for me personally, that would have, you know, early adulthood was when I the beginning of early adulthood was when I went back to college to get my degree in teaching. Yes. So yeah,
1: so even then, so, I had you already so... had
0: one, and I wanted to be a teacher when I was in high school, and my counselor said, "You won't make any money if you're a teacher." So and you being and the I gold said, digger you are, you're like, <laughs> I said, point taken. I gotta make some money. <laughs> make
1: I'm some gonna money. go into radio
0: and make some be, <laughs> well, be famous for a while. Mm-hmm. So uh, I completely agree with you that, and I, and I would roll that back again to the identity thing. Is that, and it goes with, oh, there's so many pieces all rolling together, that the idea of, of your career is kind of, your job, what, yeah. you know, what you do for your living does very much become part of who you are, but it also reflects who you are. I was just going to say that, that uh-huh. it's not
1: just one way. It's kind right. of a bi-directional thing where it's not just who we are but we eventually tend toward unless we're doing that house foreclosure thing that you talked about (laughs) that like if we are choosing a career based on our own choice we're going toward kind of who we are and what we want to do based on our identity
0: but because we change we go through changes in our life sometimes because something happens to us maybe we lose a loved one maybe Mm. we go through a divorce maybe I mean, there's a million, we get sick, you know. There's so many things that can happen that really change our course. Right. Or just maturing into a new reality, a new self-awareness that we're like, oh.
1: Right. Because I, even even after the stage, I mean, when we're talking about these stages, we're talking about like the ideal person going through all these stages entirely well. Very rarely does that happen. Right. And very often there are people who get to even stages above this Who haven't fully gone through the process of separating themselves and what they actually believe from how they were raised or what other people pressed on them. Mm -hmm. So even later in life, they come to this kind of realization that this isn't actually what I think and this isn't actually what I want to do. So who am I Mm -hmm. and what do I want to do? But then they're too scared to explore these different things because they're like, well, I can't because I'm too old. Well,
0: and that's part of that. All the, you know, so many people we see in middle adulthood Mm -hmm. who come to counseling because they're depressed or they have anxiety because they're not living an authentic life. They're just, yeah. yeah. Okay. That's a lot to do. And the other thing I thought about too with the tasks is that even if we're not there yet in our identity, if we're not on solid ground with identity, some... For many of us, for most of us, those life tasks, kind of just are happening especially yeah. if you if you're in a committed relationship and especially if you start having children yeah, and it's it just sounds like, like these oh tasks my gosh are
1: things that we think about doing yeah it's just things that happen during just, our oh life. my gosh yeah. all of a sudden
0: you're there yeah yeah just get thrown into the deep end of the pool and especially when you have children and you have now you have these little people who are depending on you and so you can't really be sitting around fretting about well i don't know if this is really what i want to do because yeah. you're trying to right you got other stuff on your plate right exactly parenthood is a very difficult wonderful
1: She's staring right science. okay okay she was staring right into my eyes as she said difficult and she let that word hang for a long time difficult i'm gonna go over the and give you a big old hug oh is that what i didn't think that's where that was going <laughs> okay okay what's next then the psychosocial crisis is next mm-hmm. crisis is intimacy versus isolation Intimacy is just the ability to be in an open, supportive relationship with someone without, this part's important, without losing your own identity. So being able to differentiate yourself, I think this is a problem that a lot of people have when they're in a long term, especially when they've been in a relationship for a long time. Like, I -hmm. see this a lot with people who have been in a relationship since, like, before this stage if it's a high school they didn't have their identity together yeah because they're growing up in their identity is connected with another person Mm -hmm. so they don't really have an individual identity it's like us and not like you and me you know what i mean so part of this is just being able to have yourself but also being able to have mutual respect and have another person support who you are and you support them and, I mean, I, I say that in terms of intimate relationships, but not necessarily. I mean, this can also contribute to family life and social life and work life. So mm-hmm. so this intimacy isn't just intimacy in the way of, like, a romantic relationship or a sexual right. relationship. It's just right. being intimate with someone is a thing that is completely platonic sometimes.
0: Right, exactly.
1: So that's intimacy, and then isolation is just the opposite. It's being unable to experience being connected with someone or sharing meaning with other people... And it can kind of happen as a natural byproduct of discovering our identities. So we can start to feel separate from other people, like when we're figuring out who we are and when we're being individuals. Like when we're going through that individuation, that can kind of come with, I'm very different, I'm very unique.
0: And I'm so, I'm out here all by myself. Right.
1: I'm so, I'm different to the point of I can't connect with other people. Right. But this stage, I mean, this crisis is learning that we can be different and connect with other people. It doesn't have to be either or. Right. Because we're social creatures. So when we get to this place where we're separating from other people, it can be really distressing. It can cause depression. It can cause identity concerns. It can it can cause problems with intimate relationships, like romantic relationships, sexual relationships, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. So is bad. Mm-hmm. Don't do that one. Just that word isolation is a It's a horrible word, It is a very
0: negative word. Yeah. Yeah, Kind of gives you the
1: willies. Yeah, it's a scary word. It's Mm -hmm. like, I think of like a concrete room where you're sitting in a corner and it's dark. Like it's it's very scary. Wow, that's very specific. I watch a lot of horror movies. (laughs) I watch a lot of horror movies. (laughs) The process that we figure out this crisis is mutuality among peers. So this is interesting because we've already had mutuality with caregiver as another process in another, is it infancy? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've already had mutuality with caregivers, and now we have mutuality with peers, which just means the give and take thing that I mentioned earlier. Just mutuality means balancing our needs with the needs of those around us. It's being empathetic, and it's it's being aware of each other, and it's understanding both ourselves and other people. Mm-hmm. And if we do all that, great. Good job, great. You also get a <laughs> cupcake sticker. Super great. <laughs> but besides the cupcake sticker, you will also take forward the ego quality of love. That's, that's my a, favorite. That's the best one, right? Yeah. And again, this. I wish we would have gotten that one way back there. (laughs) I know. We have to wait until we're 24 (laughs) before we feel love. Bummer. No. No. We feel love before then. Yeah. But it's not just romantic love. It's platonic love too. And this is, so Sternberg is the guy that made the, I called it the love triangle in my notes. Not not in the (laughs) sense we usually use the word love triangle, but like the triangle of describing what a healthy love relationship is uh-huh. so it's i'm holding my fingers up in she's a triangle doing a very good, shape good triangle right now I wish you
0: could see it and it's, and really it's good. like
1: at, at one point of the triangle it's intimacy and another point it's passion and another point it's commitment and to have a healthy especially intimate romantic relationship you have to have all of those things right you have to have intimacy and passion and commitment we use that a lot in couples counseling yeah and if you don't do it great <sighs> you didn't do it then you get the pathology of exclusivity, which is interesting because that's kind of a positively used word sometimes. Yeah, like like you're, you're like an exclusive club. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But no, it's it's shutting others out, especially of a romantic relationship. And there's some parts of this that can be okay. Like if you're in a monogamous relationship, then being exclusive with your partner is a good thing. Right. I mean, if that's where you both are, if you're in the same page in your relationship and you want to be monogamous, then if you are exclusive with them, that's great. But like anything, it can go too far. So where it goes too far is things like when couples are in a relationship and they are only focused on each other and they never hang out with anyone else and they and they never talk to anyone else and they're just tunnel vision to each other. Or when things like uh, resentment and jealousy come up and rivalry and all that stuff, we're just like controlling overbearing relationship. An unhealthy relationship. Yes, yeah, basically. Exactly. That's it. That's my stage.
0: So, so I get it. you're in that stage until you're 34-ish, huh?
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. That's yeah, it seems like a long way away. I guess I've still got to figure out the childbearing thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Otherwise, you got check, check, check. Yeah, yeah, I'm
1: good, I'm good, I'm good.
0: <laughs> but, I mean, that being said, we talked about that. I mean, I, I personally know people who have children, you know, in their late 30s. hmm
1: I also know people who have children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mom's leaving we've the table. <laughs> a, we've had a very different energy
0: in this in this episode today it's been a different energy yes it's okay Uh
1: sometimes you have different energy yeah Mm -hmm.
0: i'm still sweaty that's a constant
1: (laughs) still sweaty it is warm but it's stormy Mm, warm
0: today stormy Mm -hmm. warmy
1: so we're almost done Yes. with the stages i believe next episode is our last psychosocial social episode yes exactly and then we can explore some fun other we're stuff we're gonna
0: whip up the end of the
1: life and <laughs> we're going to end your lives everyone <laughs> we're gonna get into my section <laughs> next week the, oh, end the end of life <laughs> fun 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 okay any uh mm-hmm. anything to plug <laughs> got any shows coming out <laughs> I'm going to be on the road.
0: <laughs> I wish. <laughs> you can see me at... No. <laughs> no. You None of at.
1: that is happening. So, I have a fun idea. Okay. What Thank you, it? everyone, for listening. <gasps> Thank you so much for listening. I, Anna, I... I, daughter host, i am thanking you for listening. <laughs> and mom. That does not mean that I don't appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Mom, I do Mom thanks it. you as well. Does that mean that I'm going to read the other part? hmm Yeah. Get on your mic. Okay.
0: Get on your mic. <laughs> okay. This is what you do. You talk into your microphone. Okay. So
1: so thank you. Thank you for listening so much. We appreciate you so much. And we want you to know that you can find us on Twitter,
0: Instagram, Facebook, all Freudian Sips Pod, as well as our site, Freudian Sip pod that's hard to say <laughs> yes. freudiansipspod.com that's our site right yes if you want to You're get a hold great. of us directly you can email us at freudiansipspod at gmail.com we're also on patreon if you want to support the show again thank you shout like out our to friend anthony anthony. Yay, yes. anthony we're also Freudian SipsPod on there on patreon Please remember to leave us a nice rating and review if you can do that wherever you're listening. We really appreciate that because that helps us to feel reinforced, but it also, you yes. know, gets us out there a little bit. Do you want to do the last part?
1: No. Oh, gosh, I get to do the last part <laughs> you too. You get all of it, man. Oh, my gosh.
0: Our theme music is Sweet of Vermouth by Kevin McCloud, and it sounds like this. You're going to have to edit the shit out of that. It's good, it's good, it's good. We're
1: leaving it.